Welcome to The Derivative by RCM Alternatives, where we dive into what makes alternative investments go, analyze the strategies of unique hedge fund managers, and chat with interesting guests from across the investment world. Happy National High Five Day. Yeah, it's a thing. Look it up. Excited for the next few weeks here, where we have Swiss Quant Artur Sepp coming on, then the boys at Resolve talking return stacking and the crazy trend following moves, like short bonds, that we've seen so far this year. It's also World Creativity and Innovation Day, which leads us into this episode and the innovative approach to two new VIX ETFs out on the market, a 1x short VIX, symbol SVIX, and a 2x long VIX, symbol UVIX, by Volatility Shares. Here to talk through how these work, why past efforts in the ETP space have fallen short, and everything else having to do with VIX futures are an all-star trio, Stuart Barton, CIO of Volatility Shares, Jim Carroll of the VIXologist Twitter handle, and six-figure investing blog writer Vance Harwood, who's been picking apart VIX exposures for as long as I've been following VIX movements. Send it! This episode is brought to you by RCM's VIX and Volatility Specialists and its Managed Futures Group, who've been helping investors access volatility traders like Jem Carson, Chris Cole, and Mutiny Funds for years. can help you make sense of how and when volatility makes sense as an asset class. Check out the newly updated VIX and Vol white paper at rcmalternatives.com under the education menu and white papers link. And now back to the show. All right. Welcome, everyone. We've got the uh, three musketeers of volatility trading here. Is that good? Is that are musketeers respected or, or panned? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but in, in that context, I meant for it to be respectful. Um, we've got Vance Harwood of Six Figure Invest, Stuart Barton of Volatility Shares, and Jim Carroll of Toroso. Did I say that right, Jim? Yes. Toroso Advisors, which you told me once again before on the pod. That's like a, a shark mashup or something. What is no, it? No, it's, it's bull and bear in Spanish. Bull and bear. Got it. I think I made the same mistake last time asking if it was a shark. Um, so wanted to get everyone on to talk about the new volatility ETFs that have come out, uh, long time coming and start with Vance who had a nice post on Twitter, kind of digging into what's going on here, bringing up a lot of interesting pieces of the new products. So Vance, what did you find interesting about these, these products and, uh, what can you tell us? Okay. So, uh, actually as a bit of foreshadowing in, uh, 2012, I was uh, doing a, a blog post on leveraged ETFs. And in, this, in the blog, I was working through Apple. Uh, if you did a 2X Apple and just what would that take? And you know, I was trying to, to understand kind of the next level of, of details on the leveraged ETFs. And the thing that struck me when I was looking at this was uh, when you have leveraged ETFs, let's say a times two long or a minus one inverse, is uh, the way they, they typically operate, at the end of the day, they need to rebalance uh, so that they perform you know, the, the correct way the next day. So 2X, uh, they rebalance. So next day, they'll continue to like do twice the percentage move of today's move. And the minus one, they, they have to do the same thing. But the thing that really surprised me was that the rebalancing needed to be in the same direction. So you have a short fund and a, and a 2X long fund. And yet at the end of the day, they're both rebalancing in the same direction. Uh, so this, and, and that was really non-intuitive, but if you think about it a little same, bit. Same direction as their stated goal of I'm no, a long or a short, or it's same no, direction as each other. They're both either buying or both selling. Got it. 
And, and so, for example, if the uh, VXX or VXI, VIXY goes up 10%, then a 2X is, is going to want to go up the next day about twice that. So uh, if it's gone up 10% today, they, they actually need to add re- uh, assets so they track that next day's move. Uh, on the other hand, the, the, the inverse fund, uh, since the market, went, the volatility went up, they're now overexposed. So they need to reduce uh, their, their position, but they're short. So the way you reduce the short position is you buy shares. Uh, so, you know, this struck me as, you know, my background is electrical engineering, and this is something called positive feedback, where uh, the market goes up 10%, and then you, at the end of the day, you add on, you buy more, so that's going to tend to drive it up more. So, at that point, I thought, well, that's, that's a weakness, and if that, if that market is small, then you, you could have kind of a chain reaction. Uh, and, and then fast forward to 2018. Uh, with uh, uh, 5th of Feb 2018, this, this wasn't a small market. This was actually a big market with the VIX futures and maybe $10 billion in open interest. But you had huge uh, volatility funds with uh, XIV, SVXY, UVXY. Uh, and, <clears throat> and so all those assets after a huge, you know, 100% move, and the VIX, then we then there were billions of dollars at the end of the day that had to all go in the same direction. So, and I mean, you know, the market just the liquidity dried up at that point, and and we had this last fifteen minutes was a disaster uh, from a liquidity standpoint. Right, the tail wagging the proverbial dog. Right, what S and P was only down four percent or something. Yeah, it was that was a you know a significant, but not unusual at all from the magnitude there. So I think, you know, think, so going forward, thinking about coming again with a 2x long and a minus one inverse, uh, you know, that's a huge issue is how do you avoid doing that again? Uh, let's, let's, let's not make the same mistake again. And so I think the construction of that fix and, and UX is, is really designed to avoid that sort of a scenario. And let's dive into that construction a little bit. Stuart, you available to uh, talk about that construction? Sure, pass it to Jim. I think I, I think I can say say a little. Um, you know, for the, for the benefit of, of listeners, of course, um, issuers are un, under some restrictions on <clears throat> what they what they can say um, from a compliance perspective. So, first of all, I'd say uh, you know, th- these products are um, are not for everyone, and I, I recommend everyone to go and read the read the prospectus, which is obviously available publicly on our website and elsewhere. Um, so, with that said, yeah, I absolutely agree with what Vance said. There's there's um, there's been an interest in leveraged and inverse products, um, and I think when when some of the early products were designed, they they didn't have the hindsight that we have today. Um, and what, what that's meant is we're, in a, we're sort of in a better position to, to look at what the potential problems um, uh, are and, and improve upon them, or, or at least do what we can to, to try and try and um, let them suffer from, from fewer uh, problems. Um, in our case, we, we decided to go back to the drawing board. So all previous VIX products um, had tracked very similar indexes, the um, uh, SPVXSP and its kind of um, similar indexes 
um, effectively track the performance of a, a portfolio of VIX futures, uh, month one and month two, um, from settlement on day one to settlement on day two and day two to day three and so on. So you've got the settlement to settlement performance, which if, if one wants an elegant solution, that, that of course is a very elegant one. The, the settlement is published, it's very, it's very easy to access um, and so on. The problems with that arise when one gets involved in, in the need to rebalance and the, 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 the leverage in inverse space. So it probably wouldn't surprise you that the first product that obviously tried to track this index was the, the VXX from Barclays ETN. Um, and of course, that, that product's not leveraged or, or inverse, so it, it doesn't have a rebalance um, need. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily suffer from the same problem. So going from, going from a settlement to a settlement you know, is, is, is simpler um, because there's no need for this rebalance. As soon as you get into the rebalance needs, a settlement isn't necessarily the best target uh, for, a, for a fund to try and hit. What it does um, is it, it, it means the portfolio manager has to try and get as close to or replicate that settlement, um, which, which can be difficult. Um, in, in the VIX markets, the, uh, a market for trading at settlement was established and became quite liquid, the, the trade at settlement or TAS market. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- that market as a sort of a separate market to the sort of cash futures market for VIX um, grew considerably as the leverage and inverse products grew. Now, that was sort of a solution to the problem, i.e. The, the managers were able to hit that, that, that settlement relatively easily by putting orders into a, a trade at settlement market and every day having, you know, getting, effectively getting the settlement or very close to it. The problem with it is it puts an enormous reliance on one market that sort of prints and executes all at the end of the day. And if anything should go wrong with that market, it, 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 it leaves everybody in a very weird situation whereby they may or may not be able to rebalance the funds that they thought they were going to rebalance. And I think February 5th, is a, there's a lot of speculation on, on how it came about. But I think what, what we do know is something went wrong in that TAS market. At the TAS market that had grown outside of the, the VIX futures cash market, a market that people had come to rely on, and something went wrong. And as soon as something went wrong, we, we sort of noticed how anybody trying to rebalance this sort of scale of product in such a short time can cause a market, or a market disruption can, can, can be the outcome. So we've be lucky enough to look at what, all of that history and say, well, let, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's, let's, let's redesign an index. Let, let, let's go right back to actually designing an index that might be more sustainably trackable by leverage and inverse products. And that's what, what we did together with the SIBO. Um, we spent at least a year working with them um, on, on the short vol and then later the long vol indexes. And, um, and those, those indexes do, do a few things differently, but perhaps the most important one is they measure their performance from a TWAP uh, of the last 15 minutes of trading in, in, in the underlying, in the VIX futures in this case, to the TWAP the, the following day. And 
you know, some may say that's a very subtle difference. It's 15 minutes of trading versus, you know, a settlement price. But, but what, it, what it does is it, it, it moves this need to rebalance from a single moment in time to a period of time. And, um, you know, I think we believe and, and, and other market participants we've spoken to believe that that's a significant improvement if one, uh, as an index, if, if one was, was planning to, to track it with a, with a, with a fund. And just to clear that up and whoever wants to jump in. So the, the products have, instead of whatever the VIX closes at on today, Tuesday, it's whatever the 15 minute TWAP is of VIX closing prices on today. Yeah, that, that would, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Jim or, 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 um, or Vance will be able to tell you more, but I mean, the, the reality that, that, that that's what it, that's sort of what it comes down to. Yeah, there, there is a mix with the TAS also structured into the index. So it's actually half the TWAP and half the, the TAS close. And the TAS, yeah, so- for lack of a better term, right back in the old days where you'd be watching CNBC and they're waiting for some stock to open because the specialists hadn't have to match the flow right the buys and the sells before they give an opening price essentially taz is the reverse of that of like hey we got to match all the buys and sells at the settlement no it's it's not a uh, it's not an auction is my understanding it's it's more of the sense of during the day you can put in taz orders say i i want to buy or sell a certain amount of of futures uh at the at the settlement price and and there's uh there's a sweetener a possibility there. If the market is going one way or the other, you can say, "I'll I'll pay the settlement price plus uh, you know half a basis point or something yeah. like that." So so that accumulates during the day, and you, and you actually get a confirmation uh, on that. You know, if it, if it's going to go in, you get a confirmation. So that's an order that's in, and then you know whatever the. Uh, CFE has a settlement process that ends up with a number, and then and that's typically quite close to the last trade, unless there's some sort of abnormality. Abnormality, right? So that's I where mean, the task I mean, comes it, from. Yeah, so. it, you know, if, if I just add one thing that I think, because a lot of people misunderstand that task market, and I think it, it's it's uncommon. I think for for non-professional investors to deal in it, it it's typically you know dominated by the institutions. Um, the, the key difference between it and, for instance, a market on close order um, that, you know, we, we have these in, in equity, you can give your broker a market on close order and you can execute it at close. The, the difference here is this is a parallel book. This is, this is an order book that runs in parallel to the, to the VIX uh, futures cash market. So if I put an order in and say, I'd like to buy a settlement and, and somebody would be making a market in settlement, maybe it's minus one and plus one basis points above and below settlement, and I want to buy... 50 futures at settlement, I can put that into them into it. I can pay a basis point over settlement for my uh, execution. And I am done at the time that I have taken that market, that I've lifted that offer. So unlike a market at close, we can phone your broker back 10 minutes later and go, actually take me out of the close. I don't, I don't need to do that order anymore. I am done. If I want to go back the other way, I have to put another order in now to sell the settlement and put my futures in and hit the bid. Um, so it, it, it is a parallel book that, that, that trades um, together with the cash market. But to me, it seems like you, it could break more, right? If, I, if there's $5 billion to buy on the settlement on TAS and zero to sell, right? Doesn't it get, in theory, could get out of whack? That parallel book could be way out of whack of, of what the futures are doing? 
Well, I think Vance had some had some comments on that because you did. I think Vance, what was the there was a what happened was there was a market there was like a markets up market down limits on the on the TAS. Right. Um, yeah, Vance, I'm sure. Yeah. So at, at that point in time, the CBOE had a a point one point uh, limit on how much the offset, how much sweetener you could put. Uh, in on the on the TAS order, and my understanding this is second or third hand, but uh, well before the end of the day, the market kind of seized up because uh, no one was interested in taking the other side of of the of the market. Uh, I think these were most likely buys because the 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 market was uh, the volatility was spiking up, so the TAS market basically ground to a halt. There was no. Um, you know, parties on the other side that were interested in in um, uh, negotiating on, on on the TAS order, and so, then they would flip to okay, I got to still get it done, so I'm going to do it market right, on and, close and, or something. You know, again, second or third hand. Uh, you know, the pro shares uh, wasn't able to. You know, this is speculation, but the speculation is pro shares were typically using the TAS market. And when that TAS market goes away, then you're left with the situation of, okay, now I have to go into the open market and, and uh, you know, while it's spiking up or aftermarket um, is a possibility. And, you know, they, they ended up paying a lot less to, to do the rebalance than they would have if it had used a TAS market. So for their shareholders, it ended up being a good thing, but it was a chaotic situation. So just one final note, since then, the CBOE has increased that from 0.1 to 0.5 is how much of that offset. So they've increased that offset by a factor of five. Um, and they've, they've also, well, they've moved it to 4 p.m. instead of 4.15 which I think is, is good because now it's aligned with the equity market. And the other thing CBOE has done is they've, they've added a, a volume weighted average price calculation the last 30 seconds before close. Uh, and that, so, that, so those are three things that, all, that I think have all made the, the VIX uh, close and settlement more robust uh, from where it was in, in 2018. Just to emphasize something um, that came up earlier, VIX versus VIX futures, uh, because we're not talking about the VIX here. We're mm -hmm. talking about VIX futures. And in the case of all of these products, that is some blend of typically the front month and the second month VIX futures, um, you know, depending on where we are in the expiration cycle. Uh, and you know, in, in the in the day, uh, and I guess we do still have VIX M. Um, there there are products that trade the further out VIX futures, but again, it ain't the VIX. These are VIX futures uh, that may or may not reflect whatever's happened to the VIX on a given day. Well, because and to get into that, you can't trade the VIX itself, right? That's correct. So you could approximate it, but you, how many options would you have to buy or hold or right? <laughs> I, I gave up. I gave up even trying to think about that a long time ago because <laughs> people with a lot more brain power than I have concluded that it was a fool's errand to try to replicate the VIX in any kind of trading way. And we, when we mentioned the cash fix earlier, were we talking about like OEX options and? the actual price of certain options or what were you talking about cash fix? 
I think typically when people are referring to cash or, VIX or spot VIX, they're referring to the quoted VIX index. Got it. Um, you know, and, and and so no, it's it's not cash in the sense that you have as we as as Vance and Stewart referred to a cash market for VIX futures versus a TAS market for VIX futures. Uh, if somebody says cash VIX to me, I'm 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 assuming they're talking about a a spot VIX quotation. Got based it. Based on the calculation using a broad strip of S&P 500 index options. Leave you with the floor here, Jim. What are your thoughts on right some of the articles of like, hey, four years after Volmageddon, new VIX ETFs, levered VIX ETFs, there's kind of painted with a negative brush. But for you and what you do and your work, like these are invaluable products. So talk a little bit about who, what type of investors can be using these and why it's not necessarily uh, an evil thing. <laughs> a, a weapon of mass destruction. Exactly. Like, like Warren Buffett describes the derivatives that abound in his portfolio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> please stay away. Don't, don't use them. They're all for me. Right. Uh, well, and I think going back to Volmageddon, going back to Feb 15, actually, let's go back a little further because I think the, the rub really began when people discovered the short vol products, XIV grew to be the biggest, SVXY was the alternative. Um, and in 2016, 2017, when the markets were relatively calm, uh, you know, basically upward sloping, and the VIX index volatility, however you want to measure it, whether it's implied volatility using the VIX index, historical volatility, uh, all forms of volatility were just grinding down to historically low levels. And so being short the VIX futures, when that VIX term structure is in contango, and we can explain that, but you know, basically it was a one-way trade. And in 19, in, uh, in 2017, if my memory serves, XIV was up, let's round it, 90%, something yeah. like that. It might even be, might have, might have been more than that uh, from, from start to finish. And, and so, you know, when something like that happens, people pick up on it and people were piling into this sure thing short volatility trade, you know, called, there's this stock called XIV. Right. We had the Wall Street Journal piece on the target manager who'd made a couple million bucks and all, exactly. all that stuff. Exactly. And uh, uh, so how does that work? Like, I can't remember the name of them now. There was the ultra long natural gas ETF and the ultra short natural gas ETF. Oh, yeah. UGAS and DGAS. And if you put a chart of them, they both went basically down to zero. So right, it doesn't well, make sense. And, and, they should be opposite. But in the well, in the and, fix right. and inverse fix, they don't both erode to zero because of rebalancing. Because How do you explain of rebalancing that? Rebalancing yeah. and because and because in in round numbers, eighty percent of the time, the VIX term structure is in contango. So if you you know if you just sit short on that term structure you're going to make money over time. Uh, the, the, the challenges are twofold. Uh, you can get the um, periodic uh, 
circumstance where the market has a hiccup and the entire term structure lifts. And so, you know, it's still in contango, but it's in contango two or three or four or five points higher and you've had a bad day. Yeah. Um, if, if you can recognize that it's just a bad day and the term structure remains in contango, you might want to keep your short position. Maybe you've got some hedging around it. Um, but it's when that term structure flips from contango to backwardation, which is one of the things that happened in uh, early February 2018, um, then, then that's going to be more than just a bad day if you are short volatility. And, you know, that's the bottom line is that I, you know, if, if XIV was $2 billion of AUM going into February 5th of 2018, um, I would wager that 1.8 billion of that did not understand the difference between contango and backwardation in the VIX term structure and what the real risks of being short volatility are. Um, and as a result, you know, we've all collected stories of people who lost huge sums of money um, in, in that set of circumstances. But the, the, the reality is this is a tool for investors who understand how this all works and want to express a view about whether it's a good time to be short volatility or long volatility. And whether you know you you uh, take Chris Cole's adage that you know there's only one asset class and it's volatility. Mm -hmm. um, you know I it I got involved in this because it struck me that this was a way to get tactical exposure uh, to in a in a very different way. You know I was used to taking tactical exposure through exchange traded funds that represented different asset classes, different geographies, you know, fixed income, equities, commodities, et cetera. Um, and, and when I began my own investigation of these uh, volatility products back in 2014 and 2015, it was just a little light bulb that kind of went off and said, you know, this is another way to express a tactical view on where the world's going. And as a result, um, you know, I was a big user of XIV in 2016, 2017, um, got out in the middle of January of 2018 because, you know, the, the, the system that I use said it's not safe anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but I think unless you have some way of protecting yourself, and that can be either tactically buying and selling these things or hedging your exposure in some fashion. You know, you could be short volatility uh, over here and have some, you know, VIX call options to protect you if all hell breaks loose uh, as, as a way to hedge a portfolio. There are a bunch of different ways to do it. Uh, and again, there are people much smarter than I am out there playing in this field, but um, there, there are use cases for this in the right hands. It's look, you, you've got leveraged ETFs across the landscape, yeah. you know, tri triple this and quadruple inverse that. Um, and, and they're really uh, no different, no, no less safe <laughs> than, uh, than this. And I think 
the, the great thing from my perspective uh, that Stewart and his team have done is, is they've taken, as, as he said, the benefit of hindsight to re-engineer these products uh, and make them safer. Than, yeah, like you know, I think of TLT right now, right? Like a safe product bonds with an inflation hedge, right? It's down 30%. If you had a triple levered TLT, you'd be down 90%. Um, well, I, yeah, go, go look. There is a, a, an ETF, a ZROZ, <laughs> that is, you know, long dated zeros. Whoop. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zero. Nice ticker. So, so much for protecting your portfolio with a fixed income sleeve, right? And, and talk a little bit of, I know some of the firms make the disclosures, make you have to have the disclosure, right? Of this isn't for long-term holding. This is, as you use the word tactical. So on the long side, for sure, it seems that way. Like you shouldn't just buy and hold this thing for three years. It's going to erode, right? Because of the VIX reverting down to the cash, which we talked about price every month. Um, on the short side, though, we could argue that, right, is that we basically saying the contango premium is higher than the negative carry of the rebalance. Right, but, I, but I think the situation there is you still have dramatic drawdown. So yeah, yeah. So when you have uh, the volatility spike, then volatility takes off and and you get, I think my data said there have been two 90% drawdowns since 2005. So, you know, buy and hold, you know, if, if you hold it long enough, but, you know, not many people are willing to tolerate a 90% drawdown. So I, I think, you know, best practice is to have some strategy that mitigates that either an exit strategy, as Jim mentioned, or some sort of a, a option strategy to uh, limit your downside. Yeah, but even with, I'm trying to get at, even without the spikes, right, back to that natural gas long and inverse, right, they both went to zero just because of the rebalance cost. Right. So does yeah. anyone have data on what that rebalance cost is, whether well, it's any leverage ETF, not necessarily these? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the aspect of this, uh, the vol there's, there's two things, as Jim mentioned, there's the contango, which, you know, is very hard on the long funds and good for the short, the inverse funds. The other aspect is something called volatility drag that that all leverage funds suffer from. Yeah. But the the formula for that is really nonlinear. So, for example, <clears throat> a two x long and a and a one x short, the volatility drag uh, per period is the volatility squared. So that's so if volatility doubles, then you know you've got a four x increase in volatility. If you're a three x uh, then that goes to three times the volatility squared. So even though you've just gone from a 2X to a 3X, the volatility drag triples. So that's why you see these 3X funds, both the long and the short going to zero is because any sort of contango gains or any sort of you know beta in the market gets swamped out by the volatility drag. Got it. That, you win. That was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> the, um... Well, I think the other thing that that has caused people, well, and look, look at the trading volumes in the in, in the what I'll call the the 1.0 volatility ETPs, uh, UVIXI, SVIXI, uh, VIXI. Uh, the, the trading volumes are still quite large, so there are obviously people out there using these things every single day. 
Now, how many of those are sophisticated hedge fundy kind of people versus retail investors? Good question, don't have the answers. Um, but one of the reasons that people don't like these products and don't like this space is because uh, as, as you were suggesting, if you're long these products, you're quote unquote bleeding to death, waiting for a payoff, right? Um, and if you're short these products, you're picking up pennies in front of the steamroller. I mean, that's-, nope. that's I the, prefer the, freight train, but yeah, yeah same yeah, concept. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, well, and, and you can certainly hear a freight train coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't get out of the way, then you probably deserve to be run over. But, um, you know, that's my bias because I do believe that, you know, these products can be safely deployed in the hands of somebody who understands how they work, uh, how the VIX complex works, uh, and, and, and how to mitigate what are structural biases. There's a structural bias for the short volatility products to go higher as the market goes higher. There's a structural bias for the long volatility products to bleed and, uh, and, and only have occasional payoffs. And therefore, if you're looking for something to just stick in your portfolio and forget about, don't use these. Yeah. Because you'll wake up one day and, well, it, you'll do what the state of California did with their alleged Universa position yeah. that they exited before March 2020 because it was bleeding too much. Yeah. And I'll, I'll take it as that, but don't use any. ETFs that use futures that have contango and backwardation, right? You're just going to, you're going to get chewed up. Um, you over need the to know time. what you're doing, or you need to have an advisor who knows what he or she is doing. And let's talk for a second, Stuart, on these are ETFs, right? So I'll just quick definitions we've thrown out. ETPs, exchange traded products, ETNs, exchange traded notes, ETFs, exchange traded funds all somewhat interchangeable, but important differences. So XIV was an ETN, right? And in the prospectus, they had to basically blow it out at, what was it, down 85%? To 95, yeah. 95, to save the firm, right. right? Like they had to have the positions to back the note. It was a note drawn on the creditworthiness of uh, the issuer. Well, so they had, they had the option to terminate and they, if it went down a certain amount, I think 80% in the, in the case of XIV and they, they chose to do that. They they could have they could have kept running, but they chose to terminate. And then it's a good, it's a good point you bring up. That the, 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 the I think that the market is a little confused about the difference between ETNs and ETFs. And you know sometimes I, I you know I see professionals even you know get, getting it wrong when they when they write um, in the press. So. The, the, yeah, the, the key difference, obviously, one is a fund, one is a note. A note is much more like a piece of, uh, a piece of credit, and, and a fund is, a, is, is like any fund that we, we've, we, we know. And the, the real difference for um, in the VIX space is one is sort of a promise to pay a payoff by a bank, in this case, Credit Suisse, Barclays, with, a, with the main issues of the notes, um, and are the main issues, um, whereas ETFs actually hold a uh, hold assets. They hold cash and they hold futures, either long or short, but they actually actually hold what, what they're trying to track. And the, the, the difference there, I, I guess, is 
it, it becomes important when you get to the fringes of, of operations. For instance, if we went into a, a terrible banking crisis, you know, volatility might spike and go to, a, to incredible highs. And you might think, well, my, my note issued by a bank is going to, my VIXLINK note is going to make, make me a great deal of money. Well, it is possible in that situation that it, your note might go to zero, might go down because the, the, the credit worthiness of the bank that issued it may, may, um, may be impaired. Whereas on, you know, on a fund, the actual assets that, that you've invested and others have invested sit in the fund. Um, that, that's one difference. The other one, and, and I think it's important to remember that most of the horror stories we've heard about VIX-linked products have unfortunately been in the ETN space. And it, it's sort of because the ETN is a, is a cleverly devised workaround in order to issue something rather than a fund that, you know, that we all kind of perhaps better understand. And one of those facets that, that failed the ETN um, uh, product structure in, uh, in the VIX space is this idea that uh, if, you, if you issue a note that has a certain payoff, it's down to the bank and its traders to hedge that. And they can hedge it however they wish, but of course it's in their interest to either have to, to absolutely hit the hedge spot on, not make or, or lose a dollar, a dollar more. Um, but it's actually slightly in their interest to beat that benchmark. So it is, it is unlike a fund where if the, if the trading portfolio management team did a little better on a day, they beat the index benchmark, the gains in that situation go to the fund holders. It did a, you know, did a little better, did a little worse, but, it, but that economic impact sits with the, with the fund holders. With a note, that's different. And it, it puts note issuers into a strange conflict of interest where it's in their interest to either nail the benchmark or improve on it. And of course, if there's, if there's potential profit to be made, it's likely one would err on that side rather than err on the side of losses. Um, so, you know, I think, I think things like that are, are starting to become more known. And I think it's starting to mean that notes are being, or the operation of, of the trading activity behind notes is starting to be questioned. Um, but VIX products have been very much at the center of that because there's been so much activity and because of some of those notes were so large. Well, imagine that, right, you're looking, I can't remember what you said, Jim, but 2017, right, of the short VIX trade, and you're the bank that has to give that exposure. Someone for sure is in the bank saying, hey, if we just book this ourselves, Right, we made an extra billion dollars last year. Real money. So, well, go back, go back to 2020, right? Where, uh, if if you were fortunate enough to think this uh, um, this pandemic thing might cause a little panic in the markets, and you bought Tvix in February of 2020, and it went up. 25 times to its peak in March and your credit suisse because TVIX is a note on your balance sheet. And suddenly it's an $8 billion. Yeah. It dwarfs the bank all of a sudden. <laughs> and, and, and gee, what happens if this thing, you know, keeps going, yeah, keeps going or hits a bump or, you know, whatever. And so TVIX effectively has disappeared. I mean, it still exists, but Credit Suisse said, yeah, we're going to delist this. Yeah, we'll, we'll 
we had a nice pod with you, Jim, saying TVIX gets terminated. So we'll put that in the right. show notes. But right. I feel like investors feel it's their God-given right to always be able to trade that ETF, right? And issuers are like, hey, we have to actually put on trades and do that. The investors kind of ignore the mechanics and just say, it's my right to have this. And what we just saw this year, right? Barclays said, which nobody knew at first what was going on, but we're halting creations and redemptions. Turned out because they forgot to fill out the right paperwork or whatnot. But right, like people are going nuts. Of what do you mean you're halting? I need to do more of this. Um, so the ETF sort of solves that, right? You you get rid of the ETN problems, but what other issues does the ETF bring besides having taken two years to get through the SEC? Well, one other one other advantage of SVIX and, and UVIX, and I think this is unprecedented, is there's also an agreement to not uh, have not trade more than 10% of the of the VIX future volume. I think it's a 15-minute period. Is that correct, Stuart? Yeah, so um, and, we, we've committed to stay below 10% of the volume during any 15-minute right. rebounds period, but so, able to extend that rebounds period, yeah. So what this effectively does is, is prioritize the stability of the market and the impact that these funds have on the market uh, instead of prioritizing tracking the index. So mm. for example, Credit Suisse really didn't have a choice. You know, legally they were tied to the index and you know, whatever the index did, they, they pretty much had to follow. Uh, whereas ProShares as an ETF, uh, they certainly seek to follow the index, but when push comes to shove, uh, they they uh, they don't have to follow that, and it's really about uh, their assets, not the index. So you know, as when you get into these extreme situations, that's a big difference between the ETNs and the ETFs. And but as an investor, how do I think about that? Of okay, I'm not going to get the pop that I think I'm going to get or I'm going to get 90% of it or 98% of it? or Well, in the case oh. of Balmageddon, uh, both the long and the short fund did better uh, because they because ProShares didn't track the index. So that's where this volatility drag kicked in big time. The volatility was so huge that the single day volatility drag uh, was you know, a huge impact on XIV. I think to, and to add to what Vance is saying, I think it's, it's important to understand that and you know, Van started with his with with his point that leverage inverse products that have to rebalance frequently rebalance in the same direction, but more importantly, they can be rebalancing against the interests of the the holders. Now, in a in a, in a for instance, in that example of XIV, um, the hedging bank would have been buying futures in a rising futures market, which no doubts would have caused some further rise in the value of those futures, which lowered the value of the note. So it, it, it gets itself into a, a potential feedback loop. Now, if, if you are legally obliged to pay the payoff um, of an index and you are sitting with the need to hedge that because you, you don't want to make a loss internally, um, you, you get this, uh, as, I, as, I, as I pointed out, this um, uh, you've got different motivations here. You've got, well, I really do need to need to cover this, but I'm, I might cover it, and it's not in the interest of my shareholders to cover it or the unit holders to cover it. And that's, it's a weird situation to be in. I, I would have hated to have been in that situation on the day with that the banks were in with with their notes. But 
you know, a very strange one to be in. And, and as, as, as Vern's pointed out, by not continuing to rebalance, which I think is what ProShares did, um, they didn't, you know, go against the interests of their, their shelves and, you know, it was in their favor because by pushing further would have just pushed the products, you know, further against them and the rebalance would be more expensive. And, and talk through that for me one second. So if I have $10 million in ETF, long ETF, VIX rises 10%, although we can talk later. We're not supposed to quote VIX in percent, but. Uh, <laughs> we say, do. I do occasionally. <laughs> the, the, VIX, the VIX futures rise 10%. Yeah, the VIX right. futures rise 10%. Uh, now I've got, what did I say? Now I've got 11 million in exposure. or I st So I have to buy that extra 1 million. But did my futures in increase, or I still only have a 10 million base? So explain how those mechanics work for me. Well, I, I, I mean, simply put, in the in the case of um, I think Fed Fifth, where, which I think you're you're, you're well, just to. any any old day when I have to uh, rebalance. Think, yeah. Well, in, in, well, in if, general, if, if, if you if, if you've if got you, a one x if you've got a if you've got a one x long, then you're right. Your portfolio is just tracking. The futures but if you've got a 2x long then then you do have to go out and buy more to maintain your 2x exposure i, I think i think that the, the important point earlier. here that's that, that about the tracking is if your activity pushes the underlying against the interests of the the shareholder in the in the in, let's say for instance in the vix on fed fifth push the vix futures higher you're in the situation where the short product buys back too many of its fixed futures, so mm. adversely affects it in that way. If, if you get a recovery the next day, which we did, and, and but in the uh, in the long, the two times products that are on that day, the TVIX um, effectively leveraged up more highly than it than it needed. It bought more futures more than it needed, more than possibly it would have needed if, if there wasn't so much buying activity. And then when we got the recovery the next morning, it, it lost. More value than it than it than it needed to. So to, to Vance's point, he, he, he's sort of saying, well, both products, long and short, effectively um, got harmed by by what happened on Feb fifth. At least if you measure over a period of time longer than the one day, because by Feb sixth, Feb seventh, you know, both products have been adversely harmed by that that activity. Right. The issues you didn't didn't know a priori what was going to happen on Feb six, Feb seven. And let's let's talk about the good side of volatility drag, right? Like, so if I'm using the long product and I can rebalance into my beta, into my stocks, which have since come out, right? That's the whole idea behind tactically using the uh, the product, right? Or even into the short ball there. So I think we spent a lot of time on the on the negative. Who who wants to tell me some of the positives of the product? Well, so I think what you're what you're getting at is is if you view this as a piece of a portfolio. Uh, giving you long volatility. Let's go back and because I have to remind people of this all the time. I say, well, you know, uh, how's your portfolio positioned from a volatility perspective? Well, what do you mean? It's <laughs> it has no bearing on. I say, well, do you own stocks? Well, yeah, of course I own stocks. Well, then you're short volatility. What do you mean I'm short volatility? <laughs> <laughs> so you go through the explanation, and they say, well. Well, then maybe I need a head. Maybe I need some long volatility as a hedge in my portfolio, and that's fine. Um, but then you do get to the place where you say, okay, 
wow, this worked really well. Uh, I had this long volatility position going into March of 2020, and it really protected my portfolio because it went through the roof uh, much more than my stock portfolio went down. But then did you rebalance? You know, did you take the profits from your long volatility position, uh, realize them and reinvest them in stocks? And, you know, that's really where this provides an enormous piece of value uh, is, is to the extent that it can be managed so that uh, the portfolio is rebalanced, particularly when there's an event, a, a, a serious volatility event that produces outsized profits from the, from the hedge component of the portfolio. Um, but, and this is you know, a, a, a big topic in the professional volatility world, you know, how do you monetize a long volatility position? Yeah, when, yeah. Yeah, when, how, do you do it a little bit now, a little bit, you know, do I, do I scale out of it? Do I, do I know that this is it? <laughs> March 18th of 2020? Yeah, no, uh, it seemed yeah. like it was going to get a lot worse, right? Right, and, and, and if I monetize today, does my client call me tomorrow and say, you're an idiot? Um, and, and so, you know, uh, what to do with a successful long volatility position is, is an unknown. And, and so one of the challenges of hedging portfolios and of using things like long volatility products as pieces of portfolio construction is, is getting comfortable that you have uh, some heuristic, some rule set, some methodology uh, for taking profits and uh, reallocating them, or to the extent that you have it as a piece of your portfolio, and it does have some bleed component, right? So that your long volatility exposure is actually going down in you know ordinary times. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you how do you refill how do you that re-up bucket? It? Yeah. yeah, how do you refill that bucket so that when it's needed, you've actually got the full allocation you expected to have? These these are not simple questions to answer and uh, and and as a result at least the people that i've talked to you know continue to scratch their heads and they've come up with an approach uh but nobody's satisfied that it's the right approach and i think there is no right approach because every one of these volatility episodes is different as i described to clients you know we do not know several things we do not know exactly when, we do not know exactly how high, and we do not know exactly how long, right? And, and, and to that point, you March 18th, was that the VIX high? But the mar- market bottom March 24th? The 23rd. Mm-hmm. 23rd? Yeah. So that's even interesting in and of itself, right? Like the VIX peaks, it's coming back down, but yeah. you still see the market going down. How do you, yeah. right? So you, you uh, can't- Well, maybe, yeah. maybe that's a signal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe there were a couple of other things you could have seen on the 18th and 19th uh, that that were suggesting, and you go back to December of 2018. You, know, yep. you saw some of the same things going on. Well, even here in March of 22, right? I would think we were just doing that for another client of the March of 2020 when we were down 12%. The VIX had gone up 300% or something. And here this March, when at the lows, when we were down 12%, 
the VIX was up like 20 some percent or something. Um, so yeah, depends the starting level as well, right? Where do all of you stand being in the volatility space of the gamma phenomenon that all the, all everything that's important in terms of volatility is all driven by the market makers and their option hedging as a thesis. I'll go first because I know the least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am certain that it's very important. I'm, 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 and I'm totally convinced of one thing that derivatives uh, as a component of market action and market behavior are clearly bigger and more important than they've ever been. Now, having said that, does anybody really have the ability to measure the different components of uh, derivatives activity? You know, who's, who owns the puts, who owns the calls, who's short the calls, who's long the puts, who's blah, 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 blah. And, and how are they all hedged out and what's the gamma exposure and what's the, you know, Vanna Vega charm, blah, 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 blah. No one has yet convinced me, and, and most people have offered suggestions that nobody's got enough information to really know what's going on yeah. in, you know, in any one place. You look at all the listed stuff, you know, all of the stuff that you can actually collect data on. Okay, so what portion of the overall market does that represent versus all the derivatives that are buried in structured products, all the derivatives that are in OTC contracts. I don't know. And so I have a tendency to say, I'll bet it shows up in price if you pay attention. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll ask it a slightly different way to you, Stuart, of any thoughts on like retail option volume has exploded, option volume overall has exploded. Does that have any effect on the pricing of volatility, on the pricing of VIX as it would be reflected in the futures and in the ETFs? I mean, I'm sure it does. The, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick up on, on both of those questions, but um, <clears throat> there has been an increase in, in volumes and the options, and, and no doubt that's, um, that's new, new entrants to the market, and many of them may be, may be retail trading, trading options. And of course, that has, a, that has an impact um, on the market overall. Um, I think in terms of you know, trying to get information out of what you see from, from various measures of, of, of gamma, et cetera, um, to Jim's point, it's, of course, it's, it's important information, but it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to reliably uh, say which way around dealers are um, in, in any particular degree, including gamma. I mean, I'll give you the best example would be um, the, the, the largest driver of, of big individual positions are, um, are institutional flows. For instance, an a, a insurance company or something similar does a large OTC trade with a dealer, let's say, you know, a big, a big bank. And that dealer's sitting with an enormous pin risk, strike risk in a, in a, in a particular strike in, 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 in any underlying. And hedges it with a bunch of um, a bunch of listers, and he goes, you know, the, the trader goes chasing around and finds what they can, similar maturities, similar strikes all over the place. Let's say, for instance, they manage to hedge fifty percent of the of the OTC, 
using any of these gamma measures, you, you would say, well, you know, the, the, that, that guy, it looks like that person is long the hedge. They bought all the stuff. So, you know, if it's, if it's long options, this is, this is a very long gamma part of the world. Mm. And then you drift into that part of, of maturity and strike and to only to find out that the OTC is twice the size of the, the listed that that dealer's got on and they are not long gamma. They're very, very short. It, it's, it's examples like that that. Uh, tell me that these these sort of strategies or sort of ideas work quite well a lot of the time. I.e., when you're in a, in a in a in a in a very uniformly distributed market, perhaps a lot of retail people have bought lots of different strikes and kind of estimate whether they long or short. Um, but as soon as it becomes anything beyond that, uh, I think it would be very unreliable. And I think it, it, it'll be unreliable at the worst time. You know, you, bec you become reliant on it and say, oh, look, this, this is a very long gamma part of the part of the curve, only to find out it's exactly the opposite and, um, and it goes against you. So, yeah. That, that, that's that's a tough it. game. And Van ask a slightly different version for you, which I mentioned earlier, of the difference between VIX and volatility. I think we've seen that a lot since 2020, right? Volatility has remained elevated. VIX doesn't always agree with that, uh, right? We've had clients in long vol funds and the actually investing in long vol by buying options, doing different things in the volatility space has not done as well, hasn't shown the prints that the VIX has, the cash VIX as we, as we quoted. So what are your thoughts on how, how can investors reconcile that in their head of the difference between mm -hmm. the VIX and the investable VIX, the VIX futures, or the VIX and the volatility? Well, the I guess there's multiple questions in there. I, I think always uh, right. when you just look uh, when you when people say volatility, I think in the sense you used was historic or realized volatility. So that's looking at the moves of the S and P for the last thirty days and doing the you know standard deviation, which essentially gives you the volatility of that. Uh, that uh, in quiet times, the VIX is is uh, reliably higher than that and and some people call that a risk premium and try to harvest that um, the vix futures on the other hand because they are investable uh, uh the, the hedges you know those are in, any sort of markup like that there's got to be a hedge and the hedge for that is spx options so I, I kind of divided into imply realized volatility on one side, which is historic and mostly a calculation. The implied volatility is what the options are 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 pricing as as uh, the volatility. And and I think one of the things people don't realize is the historic volatility metrics are not that great. So for example, you know if you're using five day realized volatility, you say, boy, this is really going to be responsive. Well, it turns out if you have a trending market, that can give you completely bogus answers uh, because uh, it's, it's, it's fooled by the trend. Uh, so it, it would dramatically underestimate. And then there's also a back-end phenomenon if you're doing 20-day, looking back 20 days and you've had you know, a big flurry, there was a spike and everybody's like, oh, we're okay and volatility really starts dropping. Uh, the historic volatility metric tends to hang on to that old data and mm. look high. So I, I think you really have to be careful if you're looking, looking at those, uh, that comparison that you recognize the, uh, the deficiencies in the historic vol uh, metric. And I think the other, the other aspect about the VIX and the VIX futures is that uh, it's a very tough hedge. 
uh, for VIX futures to tie that, even though it's based on the VIX and that's what it settles to. If you look at it 10 days before expiration, it's uh, it's it's very difficult to do arbitrage on that. And so when that's the, the case, there's a, a premium uh, for that arbitrage and that shows up in the gap. So would, if we if we had to do over again, we went back 20 years, would we come up with something different than the VIX? <laughs> What, what could we come up with that would better track the volatility that everyone sees and feels? And Well, I mean, the, I think that the, the, the questions only come up because you know, people have decided they want something that's tradable. I mean, the, the original idea was right. let's get a number that's meaningful in some way. And of course it is meaningful mm-hmm. and it's quite, um, it's kind of quite an elegant solution, but you know, when you go down the route of, okay, we'd also like it to be tradable. Um, yeah. you know, obviously that wasn't thought of. There are, you know, there are pseudo tradable approaches that one could try and implement. It's unfortunately quite difficult to have a number that I think would be as interesting to people as the VIX, but at the same time be a tradable number. I think that that's, you know, that that's. You know, I think things like people have said, well, how about you just use something like, um, you know, at the money vol. Well, the problem is, you know, we, we can we can trade at the money vol between ourselves, and, and, and it's near impossible to maintain a dealer's book in a, in a product that, that does that. And you know, there have been attempts in the past, but ultimately, for something to be both interesting and tradable, I think it, it would be it's it's we're kind of stuck where we are. I don't, I don't know if there's a, there's a there's a fantastic solution there. Yeah, right. Jeff, I, I know you know Scott Nations, right? And are yep. familiar with all the work that he's trying yeah, yeah. to do. Um, and and I look at you know his indices, uh, and there are some interesting things you can tease out when you're comparing uh, VIX, which is a you know broad strip of in the money, at the money, out of the money uh, options for the SP 500 versus Volley, his measure which is which is strictly at the money um and and so you know i think there are uh, there are ongoing tweaks uh at how you measure implied volatility and and i actually think that that the combination and and the ability to compare and contrast uh has some value for people who want to be in this space and I think the practitioners would just say, like, price a straddle, right? Like, well, the at the beginning of the month, it was five. And at the end of the month, it was one. And so volatility went down. And you're like, well, but VIX was up 20% or something. So that's where the confusion comes in, um, which another way to think of it is fixed strike ball versus floating strike ball, right? A VIX is kind of floating strike. Well, and look, you know, if there were no confusion, then we'd all be out of a job. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's not let's not eradicate. Let's not solve it right here. I got to get everyone's take on volatility for the rest of the year. Where we're where we're at, what the curve looks like, where it could go. Uh, disclaimer that none of us know what the future is going to look like. Um, who wants to go first, Jim? You looked utterly saying no way on that, but <laughs> look, I I have no idea. First of all, um, but I, I suspect, given uh, that it's an election year, uh, you know, we got midterm elections. We've still got a conflict in the Ukraine. I think that the knock-on effects of the conflict in the Ukraine are going to be enormous. We're seeing it in the commodity space already. 
Um, and I think it could have ripple effects that are much more deeply economic. Um, so, so I am, let, let's put it this way, I am prepared for volatility to be volatile for the rest of the year. Right. So re to be volatile, not to be persistently high or, or perhaps both. Yeah. Perhaps both. Yeah. Vance, what are your thoughts? What the, you can, uh, you do a lot of work on the curve and whatnot. So what, what are your thoughts on what's that looking like and how it might mm -hmm. look moving forward? Well, I think it's, uh, my, my macro observation is the, the VIX is mean reverting and it, it uh, over time, it tends to want to go to, um, you know, 16, 17, kind of in that range. We've been hovering at 20. So uh, what it, it needs kind of jolt along the way to keep it above that point. So we, we've had jolts like that. Uh, certainly the war in Ukraine has, has been one of those. So the question is, if we don't have another one of those jolts, then, uh, then, uh, then I think we'll see vol start dropping more down towards towards the mean. Uh, certainly we've, we've had had a huge bull run up over the last couple of years. So I think uh, market, it's not unreasonable, it's digesting that. But uh, I, I guess uh, if anything, I, I would expect to see volatility easing a bit for the, the, the rest of the year. Stuart, got any thoughts? I would, I would, uh, I would not make any forward-looking statements. Of course, yes. <laughs> Perhaps I'd comment on, I'd comment on where the volatility is at the moment. You know, I think a lot of people, new traders to the market, would say, you know, VIX futures in the twenties. Wow, that seems, that seems high. I think remind people that this is, this is much more of a normal uh, situation. You know, I think people who got into the market in maybe you know pre eighteen, even when we saw low teens in the VIX mm -hmm. products. You know, I think that was an anomaly. That there was there were there were there were reasons for that, and you know, obviously, um, that, that's well documented. But I, I think right now we're sitting in a in a, in a comfortable space in the in the vol um, in the vol complex. There's probably opportunities to the upside, and probably opportunities on the downside. Vol is um, is probably in a, in quite a healthy in quite a healthy place, and I think the vol market is 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 better for it. hottest takes can be volatility related can be music related whatever whatever you want after watching saturday night live this week i've become a lizzo <laughs> fan <laughs> all right that's a hot take what can you what does she sing i think i know one or two of the songs but yeah and i didn't really know many of the songs before but uh, uh she's an incredibly talented entertainer she was the host Saturday Night Live, and she was also the uh, the artist. And I thought she just crushed it. And I had really never, you know, spent much time around Lizzo before. But there you go. I like it. She's large and in charge. Yeah. Who? Stewart Vance. Got any thoughts? Vance, I'll ask you what's that? What's going on with that telescope? That's a uh, speaking of oh. large and in charge. Yeah, I got that when I was 15. So <clears throat> nice. that's uh, had that a long time. That was the definitely uh, astronomy buff. So uh, definitely uh, uh, interested in, in uh, cosmology and the, and the new uh, the uh, web telescope. I'm following that very closely. I don't know about that. The web telescope? Yeah, the one that uh, they launched. Just, just getting into position right now. The Hubble replacement basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
uh, and this week, right, there's going to be four of the planets are going to be aligned, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Saw that on Twitter the other day. Um, what can you see? Can you see Saturn's rings with that thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, there was uh, a while back, there was a meteor that hit Jupiter, and it was fun to see because it left this big black spl splotch I could see in the telescope on Jupiter. So better there than here yeah absolutely it would have been a planet yeah. killer for the, the earth i think right jupiter just went eh. yeah uh all right you got a hottest take or that was it that's that it. we almost got wiped by by yeah. a meteor Stuart, what do you got no, i think um my uh, the process we've been through in this in launching these 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 new etfs has taught me a, a few things that that i think are exciting and that is the world is becoming, or the, the average person in, in the developed world is becoming more sophisticated in, 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 in managing their own finances, etc. Products are becoming more sophisticated as well. But at the same time, I think the, the regulators are always perhaps a little bit slower or they're cautious as they, as they should be. But seeing where we are today and, and the process we've been through with the regulators, I'm kind of excited and maybe cautiously optimistic that we are going to be able to see increasingly interesting, useful, exciting, different products. You know, I know you've spoken about the Bitcoin, but, but you know, others. So there, are, there are so many more and that they're, they're going to be able to be formalized and, and, and brought to markets and, and, and used. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's been my, that, that's, yeah. that's, that's probably the most, the most important thing I've learned in the, in, the, in the last couple of years, that the regulators are slow to move, but they are moving in the right direction from, from, from what I could tell. And do you think that is to the detriment of hedge funds or private advisors of, hey, basically all of these strategies are going to morph up the chain into ETFs and, and publicly available I'm always a bit frightened about that, that that argument that says, oh, it's democratizing uh, you know, strategies. Because what really happens is there's a there's there's new products bring opportunities. And I think hedge funds, you know, the opportunity of last year won't be the opportunity of next year. Um, and, and as products become more complex, or, or maybe they're not more complex, maybe they're simpler, but they're just more difficult to manage. That brings up opportunities for sophisticated operators like media hedge funds and the, the groups that are very heavily technology driven to be able to do dynamic hedging or, or whatever it might be. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's a problem. I think what, what happens is maybe the client gets more of what they want. You know, for instance, you're asking, you know, can we have a product that just just tr just just follows VIX? You know, yeah. and we say oh, it's impossible, but you know, there, there is a, there is a world where something like that could be possible if a lot of things fell into place. We'd need a lot of technology and a lot of a lot of clever um, development, but you know it, it's stuff like that where you get to a point where it's what the client wants, what the end user really wants, and all the work that goes on behind that that might be complex just happens, and it, it happens with all the you know the smart people in the background. Opportunity there for people to get paid, opportunity here for people to make money, and, and I think that's what makes uh, makes a fantastic growing market. I love it. the The flip side of that would people think, oh, it's just financial engineering and Wall Street creating products you know to enrich themselves and to trade amongst themselves but so i think that's where the promise of democratizing comes in of like hey these are available to the everyday person the everyday investor with with hefty disclaimers all right everyone tell everyone where they can find you vance what's what's the website and the blog that you put all that good stuff out on uh six figure investing 
sixfigureinvesting.com. We'll put links to all this in the show notes. Jim, let them know where they can get you. Well, the easiest way to get me personally is on Twitter at Vixologist. Unlike Vance, I forgot to change my little screen tag here. Yes, that's nice. But um, I'm, I'm very available on Twitter. You can also go to Toroso Investments, Toroso Advisors. Dot com. All right. And Stuart, where can they get that prospectus and learn more about the ETFs? Volatilityshares.com. Everything's there. All right. We'll put all that in the show notes. Thanks so much, guys. It's been fun. Um, we'll talk to you soon and best of luck with the product. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks. All right. You've been listening to The Derivative. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at RCMAlt and visit our website to read our blog or subscribe to our newsletter at rcmalts.com. If you liked our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors.